Welcome to Beautifully Bloomed, the podcast where we explore how to break you out of the box of rules and beliefs that are holding you back from the life you are meant to live. I'm your host, Rebecca Turville. Join me as I share mindset tools, coaching conversations, and human design to help you uncover your unique gifts and create the life, relationships, and business you desire. Hi, Krista. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I am so excited. So I want to talk about, first of all, you're a life coach, school coach, correct? Yes. And and I was reading that you help women with um, eating disorders, correct? Mm -hmm. What kind of coach do you call yourself? An eating coach? A binge eating coach. So I help. Okay. Yeah. People who binge eat create a better relationship with food that feels intentional and empowering. Awesome. Okay. So But what we're going to talk about today is what you told me in your intro before we started recording is that you grew up in the LDS church and you're really young. I was like, how old are you? (laughs) You're like, so you're like half my age and you already have decided for yourself that the religion you grew up in isn't for you. I am like twice as old as you and I'm finally getting around to like telling people that this wasn't for me and I'm moving forward. So it's interesting to me to talk to all different ages and, you know, different beliefs and and the way it affected you. So let's get into that. So tell me, first of all, you were born into the LDS church. Is that correct? Yeah, I was. And interestingly, I think looking at my childhood, it served me so well in a lot of ways. Um, And I'm very grateful for so many aspects of it. And I'm also glad that I have coaching and I'm able to see it that way. Um, but I grew up, I actually was born with a birthmark on my face and I, uh, had a lot of surgeries when I was really young. And I also had a lot of insecurities around my body. And so I developed an eating disorder at a really young age. So like what with- age was it that you developed an eating disorder? Well, I started dieting when I was in elementary school. So under 10 years old. Wow. That is, I remember, yeah, yeah. I was in first grade when I remember stepping on my parents' scale and thinking, I'm just never going to gain another pound. Obviously that's really not healthy, but what happened is my eating disorder progressed from being more restrictive and dieting to then finding myself feeling out of control and not being able to stop eating. But one thing I'm very grateful for is because I struggled so intensely at a young age. What then happened is I got a lot of support and I learned how to understand my mental health because I definitely identify as somebody who feels intensely. And I also have ADHD. And so emotional regulation is a huge piece of that. So I didn't grow up in an environment where I learned how to process my feelings. So the church in a lot of ways served as a way for me to do that. And so that's why I say there's pieces of that that I'm very grateful for, but also I was able to learn a lot about food and my relationship to my body. And at a young age, I was introduced to a new way of approaching that. And that doesn't mean it quickly took root. It took me a really long time to do the deconstructing around diet culture and what I thought my body was supposed to look like and to learn to be comfortable in my body. And so I'm grateful for that because I'm young still, but I've had 
years of doing a lot of work around these things. And it has helped me in other areas of learning how to go through a very challenging process of looking at my faith. And that was something that was just, there's so much anxiety and years of cognitive dissonance and trying to work through some things. But I think so many of those things are related that for me, the work that I did on my relationship with food then led me into having these skills that made that process something I was able to show up for myself in, in a really beautiful way. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you think that the eating, the disordered eating or however you want to talk about it, how was that related to church, do you think, or religion or like, what was that about? Well, I think our culture as a whole puts this pressure on women to be a certain way. And I think church was just something that was so involved in my life where I was going to youth group. I was around these people so consistently that the culture in that influenced the way I viewed myself and the way that I viewed food. And so I see that I got that messaging from so many different places, but for me, since church was such a big part of my life, that was absolutely somewhere where I felt like I was getting this message that I needed to diet. I needed to people please in trying to be perfect in that way. And it felt like something that I could control. Yeah. Like, I mean, did you think it was, well, boys would like you better if you were a certain size or I mean what was that about like this people-pleasing thing like who were you trying to please that might have been part of it I also think that it's something that I was getting from so many directions that I was getting compliments when I was eating less or losing weight I remember when I was really young in January I do no sugar with my family and people would just praise me for having willpower. So I kind of saw it as this is the value that I bring to the world, making myself smaller. (laughs) And hard work too, it sounds like, right? The ethic of, oh, good for you. Like you did something really hard (laughs) Mm -hmm. or you're continuing to do something really hard. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, were you, did you feel like you're an overweight child? Like looking back, were you an overweight child or this was just something you thought in your head? Like, no, no. I was born with a non-functioning thyroid. So I do think that influenced me because I was terrible as a kid about consistently taking the medication that I was on. And so it did impact my hormones and I was never at an unhealthy size. I was always in a healthy category, but toward the top of that. And yeah, I think looking at my family, there's a huge history of dieting. And because I was on that heavier end, I might as well have been severely obese from, which I don't love the, I mean, I have a lot of opinions about the BMI scale and all of that, but that's the messaging that I was getting. It's not that I blame my parents for that. I think they were conditioned in the same way. Yeah. That wasn't good. Yeah. The norm is like, we all should. It's funny because you can look at like, I mean, I feel like there's the same pressure in a group you're in around all the time and you, you don't see very many people who seem like you, 
but yet they all look similar, right? I've had this thought in my head too. Well, why don't I just look like them? You know, <laughs> like why can't I just be like them? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? And, and I think that culture, it does. The culture creates a feeling of wanting to be the same, right? Like, and we're even taught we should think the same, we should act the same in these religious communities, right? We're all going to do the same thing. This is the one path. Was that what you, how you felt about your religious community? Like, this is the path we're on, right? This is the way I'm going to get to success in life is by following this path. Yeah. Because the path was laid out for me. And there's part of that, that felt easy. It was just, okay, I know this is what I'm supposed to do. Focus on getting married and shooting out babies. <laughs> and there's that's a good way to put it. <laughs> shooting out babies. Okay. <laughs> it's not that, that those aren't goals that I have. I just was told that was my path. And not even in a way that was just this is your path. It was so many directions and so many things that felt like they relied on me fitting into this pathway. So it didn't even occur to me to challenge that path or think about it in a different way. So I learned to rely on what other people told me I was supposed to be doing. And so I was being told in so many directions to eat a certain way. And I tried that. I tried to be perfect at it, just like I tried to be perfect at everything else. And what happened is biologically, what happens when anyone restricts, and especially someone that was restricting so much at such a young age, is the desire for food can increase so much that you start eating and it truly feels out of control. And so that's how binge eating disorder typically develops is with dieting and it can progress into something that's habitual and something that is an emotional release because that's a source of dopamine and our brains learn to crave that. But for me, it started out by just trying so hard to be good enough for this path that I thought I was supposed to be on. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, that's what I was thinking. So it's almost like the black and white thinking which is what religion provides, right? It's this black and white. So this is the right way. That way is the wrong way. And let's just try really hard to follow this right way. And that sounds like kind of how your eating even was. It's like, well, this is the right way I need to eat. That's the wrong way. And I know, you know, it's like when you feel so super restricted like that, that's where it does lead to issues. And I can see that in religion. I can draw the parallels there, right? Because the issues are, I have cognitive dissonance in my brain about this is the rules and the path I'm following. But I'm so afraid of what's going to happen if I don't follow the rules, even though my soul is calling me to something different. Does, does this sound familiar to you about your religion at all? Absolutely. I think the rules and things were things that I didn't really challenge. And I don't think I felt as much consciously this feeling of restriction. I felt just so much shame because I was never enough. I was always making mistakes. I felt like I was just a mistake. And so many of the things that I had a challenging time with, I used as proof that I just was not good enough. And 
I think that more than anything, it's just the shame was restricting. It wasn't that I felt like I was being restricted by that. I was just, I believed the shame. I never challenged the shame. Never thought maybe if I really look at what I think is right and wrong and I look at the way that I act in my life, I'm kind of proud of it. I'm proud of who I am. I wasn't able to do that because my brain was consumed by what I was doing wrong and the things that I wasn't good at. Yeah. And and here's these rules I'm trying to follow. I can just get the part where I'm trying to follow these rules. I don't believe in some of them or why are they true or why should we do that? But I'm so afraid (laughs) to ask somebody or ask the question. And now I feel guilty. Like you said, the shame and the guilt about, well, why am I not able to follow these rules and just not ask questions, right? I'm looking around going, these other women can easily follow the rules, it seems, and they're not asking questions. So what's wrong with me? Is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, and I think specifically the unspoken rules. For me, I didn't struggle with some of the bigger things. It was the little things. It was the unspoken rules. And like, what's an unspoken rule that you're thinking about? You need to be happy all the time. Mm. You need to be finding joy, but you also need to be feeling shame, (laughs) unspoken. You need need to feel sinful. I I guess this is what I was taught. We are such sinners. We're born sinners. We're such sinners. I should feel bad all the time because I'm a sinner. (laughs) That's how I was actually taught. So I don't know. Yeah. I I think I was taught the opposite. I thought I was taught I was supposed to always be happy. Yeah. No, I mean, I should be happy in the fact that. I can go to church and get my sins forgiven, right? Now I'll be happy, but I, I can't really be happy until I'm repentant of my sins. Does that make sense? Like it's, it's a weird, yeah, I'll be happy, but only if I'm following the church and only if I continually get my sins forgiven because we're so, sinful. <laughs> yeah. And what I notice in myself and what I notice in my clients too, is that our brains do just follow these same patterns in so many areas. So I've seen that where it was just, I'll be happy when I'm smaller. I'll be happy when I'm this size. I'll be happy when I find somebody to love me. And I think what's really beautiful about learning how to find happiness in ourselves is that for me, it no longer feels like I have any desire to lose weight. I obviously... I think it's important to consider that thin privilege is a thing. And so I don't get that message from my doctors. I don't get that message from people like some of the people I work with are really getting hit with. But what I do find is that it is something that comes very naturally and easily now to just not feel like happiness is going to be at the next achievement or the next milestone easier than maybe I see some other people struggling with that because I've learned that it doesn't work. And I've had to challenge that because it was so deeply ingrained that it was hurting me so much. Yeah. And I mean, from what you're talking about, I can make a parallel to being like, you know, just be happy in the fact that you're in this faith. You have this faith, you have this path, that's enough. Like there's nothing else out there. There's no need to question. There's no need to go find yourself. There's no need to figure it out. It's just this one true faith, this like narrow path and just follow that. And so then when you feel so unworthy, because it doesn't feel right somehow, 
<laughs> you know, I'm, I'm thinking of for you, the parallels for me is that I feel so unworthy because I'm trying and that can lead to a lot of eating problems because I'm over here getting enjoyment out of food because I feel so terrible over here that I'm not fall. I don't feel good following these, this path, but I should feel good following this path. Right. So it's like this cognitive dissonance of why don't I feel good? Is God, does God not like me? <laughs> like I'm not worthy enough to, to just accept all of that and not have questions. Do you know what I mean? That's where it leads to this unhappiness and let's go find some other place where I can enjoy something. Okay. I guess I'll eat because <laughs> I'm allowed to eat food. I'm not allowed to drink alcohol, but I can eat food. Right. So let's just stuff our face with food. Yeah, it does. It causes so many issues when you can't be true to yourself. Right. And interestingly, I've seen that so much outside of religion. And I think it's just part of even how the patriarchy and things influence our society. But I see it in my clients all the time, too. It's just they don't learn how to find the happiness because nobody taught them the happiness and just being a human, waking up and being alive. And so it's like what I see is this constant feeling of not being good enough makes it so much more desirable to numb and to turn to things like binge eating or even just overeating because where else are you going to get the dopamine hit? Where else are you going to feel those little moments of joy? If you're always kind of waiting in the rest of your life for something else to happen or something else to click for you to deserve it. Yeah. And, and to me for many years, I have to say, I did feel like, yes, I can find this to be a good thing to be on. Like, you know, okay. I got married to a spouse from church. I started having children right away. You know, we got married young. <laughs> I mean, just, I did the things and I'm like, I'm just on this path. And then you just kind of get busy for me. I just got busy being on the path. Right. And so I didn't have time to question what do I really want or what do I really believe? But I'm wondering in your journey, because you're still so young, that's so fascinating to me. Like what, where was it that you decided to leave your, like, what age was that at? Or, you know, what was the point where you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. I mean, what happened there? Yeah. The first thing that happened was actually an experience I had where I was told something specific at church by a specific church leader that just didn't make sense to me in a way of this doesn't match up with so many things that I'm seeing. And I, I don't want to go into the specifics of what this said because it involves another person, but what I was told was in complete conflict of what was being told. If you just slightly switched the scenario, if that makes sense. And what that led to is a few years of that really weighing on me and trying so hard to figure out how I can keep my faith with this thing that happened and this thing that had weighed on me so much. And during that time, what I was seeing is that I was clinging so hard onto something that no longer seemed true. And I was starting to see things that didn't add up for me. And I think that was so deeply painful because something I told you before we started recording is the way that this impacted me in terms of being so scared of hurting people that I care so deeply about because they're told to be hurt by me changing the way that I view the world and the way that I view faith. And so while I look at 
the journey that I've taken and I can see now that I have so much peace in the version of faith that I have, which includes so much uncertainty and I don't know, (laughs) but I find a lot of peace in that. I feel very congruent with what I value and the way that I believe people deserve to be treated and to treat themselves. Yeah, I knew that that would cause pain. So for so long, this kind of people-pleasing thing kept me just turning to, okay, how can I find ways to make this true or make this thing that's worked for me continue to work? And so I think maybe it's just a difference in our stories is that I was like, okay, I'll, I'll be on the path. Like I'll follow all the rules. Like, I don't care about the rules, but it was from this place of people pleasing in a way. And it wasn't that I wanted to leave to lead a different lifestyle. It's that I wanted to live in alignment and that took a long time to come to. Yeah. You're so young though. You're starting and living alignment. So young. That's amazing to me. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. sorry. What were you going to say? But. Oh no. I I mean, that's so true. I think it took me a long time, but Mm -hmm. I also see that in the scale of your journey, that's a very short time, like a few years (laughs) compared to 10 years. It's a very short time. Um, And mine was, I mean, I tell people and I will be telling my story Maybe by the time this comes out, I've already told my story. But anyways, the 10 years is because something happened in my life. And I think this is what I'm what I see is something happens. And for you, it was just something someone said. For me, it was the death of our son by suicide, right? So when you're talking about religion and suicide, and now what, and that was 10 years ago. Before that, I had doubts, I had a lot of trying to make sure I fit in and the people pleasing. I really resonate with you with that. Like that was for me, the journey, it was more about following the rules and people pleasing than it was about having any kind of spiritual experience in church. It's like, well, I just want to belong in this community and I'm acceptable if I follow these rules. So I'm going to follow the rules. That's people pleasing to me, right? It's like making sure my mom's going to accept me, my dad, you know, my family, the other people in church, like I'm, I fit in now by following the rules. And I didn't recognize that until, and I, even though I didn't agree with a lot of the things or didn't think I didn't, but I didn't have time. Like I was raising a family and have time, like I said, to go figure it out. But when my son died, it was like, Oh, wait a minute. That's where some major things had to change because it's like, okay, we're taught this way, but this happened to me. And there's not any explanation in the church as to why, as I'm following the rules, I'm not what I'm not a good Christian. (laughs) So now my son has to die by suicide. Like it's the weirdest cognitive dissonance. Yeah. There's a lot more to talk about that, but I see some similarities in our journey. The people pleasing, I think is huge. And many women, I think face that it's like, let's just do this because it's acceptable. Absolutely. And what you just shared, I appreciate you sharing because I know that's probably still very vulnerable. I've shared it many times before I wrote a book about it, but but you know what I mean? It's it's important. I think think it's important, right? For us to share our journeys and experiences. Yeah. And I think also nobody gives us the tools to deal with experiences of such intense grief and emotion. And 
they just don't. (laughs) I can see that and how even just the work I do now, I look at how the conditioning we receive about emotions can be such a huge block. And I think a huge difference between the issues with food that I'm talking about and a faith crisis is when you're struggling with food and binge eating and feeling so out of control, normally people want so desperately to stop that cycle and it becomes so apparent what's happening. But what you don't see is what the real cause of that cycle is, is a lot of conditioning. And so that can become such a vicious cycle because what you're trying to do isn't working and what you've been taught to do isn't working. And I think interestingly in a faith crisis, it's kind of the tables are turned where it can feel like what is safe is continuing to stay on the same path. And what is obviously challenging in either way is doing the deconstruction, doing the look inward of what do I really believe? Does this actually sound like something that I want when I take a step back? And I think it does take something dramatic for most people who are, especially in a very highly demanding religion, to take that step back because it's a painful step. It is. It's painful to lose or to think you could lose family and friends. You probably will, let's just say it that way, lose family and friends. The relationship won't be the same with people who just continue to believe so deeply that that way is the only way and you're now not in the only way. And so it's, there's a, there's a carefulness, right? It's like, well, we have to be very careful about talking to her because she has some crazy ideas. You know what I mean? Like that? I don't know. Yeah. And so that is painful and it's hard, but I think what I've come to believe and to recognize is that it's more painful to ignore myself and to push myself down and ignore my truth and not speak my truth than it is to go along to get along. It's just more painful. It has caused me more health issues, more relationship issues, you know, more emotional and mental health issues than anything else in my life by continuing to try to follow the path. And it's just like you being 25 and getting out. Wow. Right. Me having just added on stuff over the years, right? Just kind of kept pushing it, right? It's like it adds more layers and more layers until you pretty much explode. And that is something terrible has to happen to get you out of that cycle, you know? And and the first thing that happened for me was our son's suicide. And then there were other things, which I'll talk about later, probably in my podcast, but those things happen and they they then they chip away, right? At that, those layers, And you have to, I mean, you can ignore it. And I think you'll probably have to become an alcoholic or something in order to just ignore the pain, right? This is why I think people do become alcoholics and drug addicts. It's like, they're just ignoring who they are. It's like, it's, it's, you have to somehow cover up that pain to live, right? And so, um, yeah, wow, I could go on a tangent now. So (laughs) let's just, and I think we're at about 30 minutes now. So, oh my gosh, this, like I said, I get started and we can talk (laughs) because it's super fun. But Krista, before we go, tell us like, where, where could people find you if they're interested in finding out more about how you help with binge eating? 
Yeah. So I am on Instagram at binge eating coach and I'm very active on Instagram. There's probably always something up on my stories and lots of tips and things there. And then one thing that will be available when this podcast comes out is a course that I have that you can find and I'll give you the link to, I'll put it in the show notes, put in the show notes, but yeah, I have this course that is going through six weeks of really taking the things that can help people overcome binge eating and putting it into action. And so I'm going to give you a link that gives a free trial of that. So people can get in and get the most important stuff out of that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Krista. This has been a fascinating discussion. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I think you provide so much value by talking about this topic. Yes. I think it's sorely needed right now. Yeah. So so, so many areas of life. Yes. All right. Bye. Bye. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please go subscribe so that you get notified of all the future goodies that are coming along. While you're there, please leave me a review and let me know what you think. So excited to share this with you and can't wait to talk to you next time. Bye.